Hello, welcome back to the Church of Jesus Christ study session with Come Follow Me. I'm your host, Matthew Roberts, and we are now finally returning back to the Come Follow Me manual after the past week or so of studies about the Restoration, the First Vision, and the historic uh, General Conference, which we were able to take part in uh, just a few days ago. Um, honestly, the, the height of spiritual feeling from that conference is still there, and um, just so brilliant um, to be part, to be able to be part of this gathering of Israel uh, at this time. Uh, so we are looking at the uh, Easter section, which does cover the period of March 30th to April 12th, although we are just starting to talk about it today. Uh, we're covering the section in the personal scripture study, which is titled, Because of Jesus Christ's Resurrection, All People Will Be Resurrected. This doctrine of the resurrection is so powerful, and without this sacred book, the Book of Mormon, uh, then we would not have as clear understanding of it as we do now. I like how in this Easter uh, period, period we're looking at something from the Book of Mormon, uh, whereas last year, as we were studying the New Testament, we looked at the life, the the, the weeks, the week leading up to uh, the uh, crucifixion and atonement and resurrection of our Savior. Um, I will talk about the week of his. Um, sacrifice uh, on in another podcast episode because there's quite a lot of interesting parallels which I've been studying about the Passover period which Christ of course was crucified around the time of uh, and his own personal sacrifice which was incredible. In 2nd Nephi uh, we're going to begin with chapter 9. We're going to go back to that uh, chapter because it is such a fantastic um, section on the resurrection and teaches us so many principles which we wouldn't have otherwise. Simple, plain and precious truths that would be lost if we did not have this book. Uh, in verse 7 it says, Wherefore it must needs be an infinite atonement. Save it should be an infinite atonement, this corruption could not put on incorruption. Um, Christ submitted for all. Um, every single individual receives this atonement, the blessings of the atonement in that they will all be resurrected which is such a wonderful blessing. In April 2001, in a talk called Plough in Hope, um, Elder Neil A. Maxwell said this, quote, Several scriptures describe the essence of that glorious and rescuing atonement, including a breathtaking autobiographical verse confiding how Jesus would that I might not drink the bitter cup and shrink. Since the infinite atonement required infinite suffering, the risk of recoil was there. All humanity hung on the hinge of Christ's character. Mercifully, mercifully, he did not shrink, but finished his preparations unto the children of men. But Christ's unique submissiveness has always been in place. Indeed, he has suffered the will of the Father in all things from the beginning, keenly observing his Father in all the while. Uh, close quote. So obviously, you know, the Saviour had to go undergo immense infinite suffering for there to be an infinite atonement applicable for all. All of us hung, hung on the fact that Christ would have the um, capacity, but also compassion uh, to be able to fulfill this. And he did so. Uh, in verse 12 of Second Nephi 9, um, it says this, um, and this death of which I have spoken, which is the spiritual death, shall deliver up its dead, which spiritual death is hell. Wherefore, death and hell must deliver up their dead, and hell must deliver up its captive spirits, and the grave must deliver up its captive bodies, and the bodies and the spirits of men will be restored one to another, and it is by the power of the resurrection of the Holy One of Israel. I mean... I've read that verse, I'm sure, several times before when I've been reading the Book of Mormon, when we've been studying it in seminary and in various things like that. But 
how powerful is that? That to state that hell must deliver up its captive spirits, and the and the grave and the earth must and the, must deliver up its captive bodies, and all will be restored to uh, the proper and perfect frame by the power of the resurrection of the Holy One of Israel. Such an immense, um, you know, statement uh, from Jacob that the Savior would undergo this and he would complete it for each and every one of us. But of course, we have to consider why was this resurrection needed? Charles W. Penrose said this, quote, It is stated that the spirit and the body make up the soul of a man and that the resurrection from the dead is the redemption of the soul. We are taught also that there are material elements and spiritual elements, that the spiritual being of our part of our being was in the beginning with God and that the spiritual and material when inseparably connected receive a fullness of joy. Otherwise, men cannot receive a fullness of joy. It takes the spiritual part of man and the material or physical part joined together inseparably to obtain a fullness of joy. When the spirit is separated from the body, a fullness of joy cannot be obtained. When the spirit is joined to the body temporarily under a temporal law, under the law of death, it cannot receive a fullness of joy. The spirit and the body must be just so joined together that both will be immortal, and in that condition, man can receive a fullness of joy. Close quote. He refers to a number of verses from Doctrine and Covenants to make this statement, and what a powerful uh, explanation that is, that the body and the spirit must be inseparably connected together to receive a fullness of joy. Even when the body and the spirit are joined together temporarily, you know, in, on, a, on a temporary basis, they cannot receive a fullness of joy. We cannot receive a fullness of joy in this state that we are in now. But because of our Saviour, Jesus Christ, we can receive a fullness of joy as both our body and our spirit can be inseparably connected. Uh, in verse 14, I found something very interesting from what Jacob said. Uh, he says, Wherefore, we shall have a perfect knowledge of all our guilt and our uncleanliness and our nakedness, and the righteous um, shall have a perfect knowledge of their enjoyment and their righteousness, being clothed with purity, yea, even with the robe of righteousness. What I found interesting is that um, there is a clear distinction made between um, the the people that don't receive that joy and the people that do the righteous but i've always presumed that it's the un unrighteous that will have a perfect knowledge of all their guilt and uncleanness and it's the righteous that will have a perfect knowledge of their enjoyment and purity but that is not the case it says wherefore we shall have a perfect knowledge of our guilt jacob uses the pronoun we not the unrighteous so every individual will have a perfect knowledge of our guilt and our uncleanliness but it's the righteous that will have a perfect knowledge of their enjoyments and being clothed with purity. And why is it that they're clothed with purity? Is it because they have been much better behaved, that they've not made mistakes? Well, of course not, because we all make mistakes, whether we are seeking to be righteous or we are not seeking to be righteous. But the difference between everyone and those that were righteous within that group is that the Saviour has also extended that blessing of the atonement because of the covenants that they've made to be fully sanctified by the Spirit. And it's through because of that that he makes them clean and whole, as well as being brought from their body and spirit inseparably connected. Um, I thought that was really interesting. Just that slight shift of language teaches us something. In verse 15, <clears throat> it's um, also so that we can have a fullness of joy and that we can then be judged and appear before the judgment seat of the Holy One of Israel, which Jacob talks about in verse 15. Um, 
In a talk called Cleanse by Repentance in April 2019, just last year, President Dallin H. Oak said this, quote, The judgment most commonly described in the scriptures is the final judgment that follows the resurrection. Many scriptures state that we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged according to the deeds that have been done in the mortal body. All will be judged according to their works and according to the desires of their hearts. The purpose of this final judgment is to determine whether we have achieved what Alma described as a mighty change of heart, where we have become new creatures with no more disposition to do evil, but to do good continually. The judge of this is our Saviour, Jesus Christ. After his judgment, we will all confess that his judgments are just, because his omniscience has given him a perfect knowledge of all our acts and desires, both those righteous or repented, and those unrepented or unchanged. Close quote which is a, a great message of um, prepare, preparation. I mean, I don't know about you, but uh, I certainly noticed in this uh, general conference a, a number of times mentioning preparing for the second coming. Um, the time is close at hand. The time is running out, as President Nelson stated in 2019. Uh, and so this is even more important to understand why we have the resurrection, how it prepares us for the final judgment and what that final judgment will look like so that one day we can all stand before him uh, and it isn't a list of do, things we've done well and things we haven't done, but it's more of how have we changed and developed? What is our standing and our, and our uh, disposition before the Lord? In October 2008, in a talk called Celestial Marriage, uh, President Russell M. Nelson, at the time Elder Russell M. Nelson, uh, said this, quote, Our Heavenly Father declared, declared, this is my work and my glory, to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. The atonement of his beloved Son enabled both of these objectives to be realised. Because of the atonement, immortality, or resurrection from the dead, became a reality for all. And because of the atonement, eternal life, which is living forever in God's presence, the greatest of all the gifts of God, became a possibility. To qualify for eternal life, we must make an eternal everlasting covenant with our Heavenly Father. This means that a temple marriage is not only between husband and wife, it embraces a partnership with God. Close quote. Now, I love how President Nelson said that the atonement means that immortality is a reality for all. It will happen. But eternal life, the greatest of all gifts of God, becomes a possibility. And we need to make sure that we are staying with our Saviour and living his gospel to receive those full blessings of that atonement. Uh, I'm so grateful for these scriptures and this restoration of the gospel, the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which teaches this, these, these divine truths as we prepare for the Easter season, how much more important it is to know of these things. Thank you for listening. Please share what you've been studying. You can email ldsstudysession at gmail.com or join the Facebook group Church of Jesus Christ Study Session with Come Follow Me. I would love to hear any of your thoughts. Thanks for listening. And until we meet again.